Hey, welcome back to Intimate Interactions. Let's get back to discussing the ways we share love and intimacy with our fellow humans. Relationships, kink, polyamory, group sex, it's time to unlearn stigma and live our best lives as our best selves. All thanks to my amazing Patreon supporters. Intimate Interactions has no ads but this one. If you want to keep it that way, you can go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon. You get access to exclusive premium content like all of my coping with jealousy stuff. And hey, if that makes you jealous of my patrons, it sounds like it might be time to sign up. Free resources are available at victorsalmon.com slash resources, and book recommendations are at intimatepodcast.com forward slash books. Also, my Patreon supporters don't have to listen to this ad. Now, let's talk about the episode. Most of us are probably familiar with what burnout looks like, can look like being tired or exhausted, struggling to get out of bed, depression, anxiety, emptiness, sadness, resentfulness, anger, feeling used, feeling hurt. It can run from those first signs of resistance or hesitation around an activity to full impassioned non-compliance. When we play on edges like we do in BDSM sometimes, or play with really intense feelings like emotional sadism or emotional masochism, there's a lot to think about in terms of what health looks like in this lifestyle and how we're supposed to be holding our own truths while simultaneously trying to do things like service. We don't always choose the things in our lives that will be feeding for us, and sometimes the things that are feeding for us are very complicated. Still, it's nice to have people like Tilly in our lives to chat with these things and try and get a little bit more clarity. Today, Tilly and I are going to be struggling towards that clarity on some of these issues and hopefully leaving you with a lot to think about in terms of service, self-care, and burnout. As always, thank you for listening. I'm excited to share these things with you. How are you feeling? Pretty good. Okay. Yep. Task focused. Yeah. Okay. I'm just gonna I know, I keep closer. No, no, you're good. You're good. Um, <laughs> it's funny because when you're gesturing wildly with your hands and you hit it, I can like hear it on the on the playback. But that's okay. It's kind okay. of charming. You can just have a have a note that the weird sounds are when Tilly is talking with her hands. Yes. <sighs> okay. Welcome, intimates, to another session with Tilly. I'm excited to talk about burnout. <laughs> How are you feeling? Good. Who knew burnout could be so exciting? So exciting. I think I'm just excited to to share my experiences about burnout because I'm sure we both have experiences to share. Yes. Yes. I have to admit my experiences with burnout that I am excited to share are primarily in doing community service for the BDSM community. Mm. And some some a little bit of work. You know, a little bit personal stuff, but it's mainly community service that I want to talk about. And for those of you who are hearing the sound of utensils and dishes in the background and possibly half Indian man eating mixed pickle and rice, that's exactly what's going on. And taking care of yourself is important to avoid burnout. So when you want to record that third session of the day and what you need for yourself is to feed yourself and you don't really have the time to like eat and then record, sometimes you will record sounds of eating and that's okay. Yeah. Fortunately, my power bar was quickly consumed before we started recording. So, <laughs> so tell me more about the notion of 
telling service bottoms who are single, oh, that's fine. You can just go and do service for the community at large. Uh, so I, I am guilty of occasionally saying that, but I have started saying that with a lot of, um, with a lot of critique and cautions about how to do this. Um, my mm -hmm. leather brother, Ben, and I have both experienced this phenomena of being service-oriented people, having no one to do service to, and wanting con to contribute to our local community. I mean, that's an authentic and good desire to have. I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to contribute to your local community. And so we started doing various volunteer jobs. But here's the thing that we both found about community is community doesn't negotiate, <laughs> right? Because we're talking about this, we're talking about concept. Community is really a concept. Like, yes, technically it's a gathering of individuals, but it's really a concept. So you can set boundaries, which are great. And I do believe in setting boundaries for yourself about, you know, how often and how many hours and what types of jobs. But if you just kind of throw yourself as like available to the community, you will find yourself in the position of doing many things for many hours on many occasions. And the community doesn't listen to your safe word, whatever it is. Um, and this leads to burnout. And this is something I definitely experienced where I really wanted to give back to my community and I started doing certain types of jobs. And because I am a person who is quite happily to cheerfully um, tell you no, over and over and over again, I ended up in like certain types of positions doing certain types of volunteer work and then feeling that because I was good at it, I should continue doing it. And then because there was a scarcity of volunteers in that position and with my capacity that I had to do it and it continued on and I wasn't creating time and space for self-care. I wasn't creating time and space for me to do things like engage and play, play at BDSM parties and do other things that fed me and helped me continue to want to show up. And then I basically burned out on community service. I went away for a few years. I came back and I decided to go come back as a boot black because that was a very different type of doing community service than I'd been doing before. And also I felt like I was in a better position to set my boundaries, to figure out when and where I wanted to volunteer, to figure out how long I wanted to volunteer. And now what I'm doing is instead of volunteering every single month, I am taking every, I think it's going to be every third, it might be more frequent, month off so that other people have the opportunity to boot black and I have the opportunity to get up to hijinks. Get up to hijinks. Yes. That does sound like a thing you would do. Mm -hmm. So I think it's it's neat that you were talking about how the community doesn't respect um, your safe word as a as a service minded human that's sort of quote unquote in service to the general community or that's doing service for members of the general community that they're not in like specific relationship with. 
I think one of the defining things for me about not being in relationship with is the notion that it's not an exchange anymore, mm. that it's almost service for the sake of service. And like the other needs that a service minded human might have, like acknowledgement or validation or feeling cared for or safe or loved, like all of those sorts of needs aren't even getting addressed in that relationship. It's just like, let me sew that thing for you or let me make you this food or let me do these things. Like I'm participating in the community. I have a stake in this showing you that I care, but like, what am I getting back in return for that? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Falls into that trap of like service should be selfless nonsense in my Mm -hmm. opinion. Exactly. Like I know that a lot of organizations will try to set up compensation schemes where it's like you volunteer for an hour or two, you get free into the party. And I totally believe that those are important. They also make community events accessible to people who may have time, but Mm -hmm. not necessarily financial assets, Mm -hmm. which I think is vital. But I've also observed things like, I'm I'm at a party and somebody shows up and they're like, I am sick, but... I need to fill my shift at midnight, so I'm going to be here, not be having a good time, not be interacting with members of my community, but I'm going to be here to do my shift. And that's when I start having concerns about that person and that person's boundaries and that whether or not that person is getting compensated um, adequately for their time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I want to be really mindful about um, accessibility financially when talking about volunteer for um, volunteer in exchange for getting into events. I like those programs because people who do have a lot of time can choose to give their time to their community to say thank you for getting into an event for free. But I think it's also one of those like clusters of things where a lot of people who are just getting by month to month may not have the time. Mm -hmm. So I like MVK is a sliding scale event now. Um, in fact, I think it has been for quite a while. So folks who are like, I don't have my money or time can still participate. We make it a point to not make finances a barrier to participation. And if people don't have the time to participate in volunteering just two hours, which is all we ask for getting a party, um, then that's fine too. Mm -hmm. It's more like an optional thing. Like, yeah, if you volunteer for two hours, we'll give you a credit for a party. But also if you just want to get into a party and you don't have the money, you can just get into the party. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is great because I I know people like I for example have three jobs, so yeah. that's why that's why I can't volunteer that much is oh. I have three jobs. Um, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Luckily, two of them are very part time, which is how I make it work. Um, but I know mm-hmm. people who have to basically they're hustling seven days a week or six days a week. Yeah, and we need to respect that. That's the financial reality for yep. some people. Yeah. So when you think about burnout, what are sort of like the first warning signs? What are the lights that go on in your little panel of like, how's Tilly doing? How's Tilly doing? So what's really funny is I actually hit a situation where I realized I was feeling the first signs of burnout and and I'm taking steps to um, to take care of that. The first thing that happens is I notice that I'm not anticipating the event as much. Mm. that it feels a bit routine, that I'm not doing things like preparing my outfits or like setting up play dates or, or whatever I would do to prepare for the event, that it's, there's not as much anticipation and excitement. Right. Um, then what happens is I stop putting as much effort into showing up or attending, 
right? Mm. So I tend not to arrange rides for myself or I don't, um, or I don't dress up as much. Like as a femme, I do enjoy dressing up and sometimes it won't be fancy, but it will be very intentional. But the less intentional how I decorate myself is a sign. And then what happens is I start feeling a bit angry and resentful. And that might differ for different people because um, anger is a safe emotion in the Tilly wheel of emotions. Not everyone feels safe feeling angry. So they might feel very tired or they might feel sad or they might just feel empty instead. And that's the point at which it's a good time to sit down and look at, you know, why am I going to this event or why am I participating in this thing or why am I volunteering? What am I getting out of this? I also like um, used. Some people feel used. Mm. Right. Or even feeling hurt. Yeah. Which is, which is always for me like a warning light. Like, huh, I'm feeling hurt about an event I haven't done yet. What up with that? Like, oh, <laughs> where, yeah. where is that coming from? Yeah, that's not a good feeling. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, especially I think heading up to something where it's like yeah. literally nothing has happened yet. Yeah. And, and you have all these unpleasant feels. feelings. Yeah. 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 I, I notice like later signs of burnout um, for me include things like I'll stay up really late the night before. And I'm like, I was totally prepared to go to bed at like, you know, 1130. And instead it's like 230 in the morning. And I want to watch another episode on Netflix, even though I'm sitting at the controls for Netflix. And I could easily close this window and just go to sleep. And I know I'm exhausted, but I don't want to close the window. Mm. Hmm. It's or, like I don't want to wake up tomorrow to do something. Yeah. Or I will schedule things. Like if it's an evening event, I will schedule things t- that go to like six or seven. So it's almost like I don't have time. Right. To get myself ready and get myself going to the thing. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Or that if you do spend the time to get yourself ready, you'll be a little late to the thing. Mm-hmm. It's like you're trying to almost work out a way of having a little bit less of that thing. Yeah. 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 Definitely signs of burnout to me. <laughs> I like that. So. When you've burned out in the past, do you want to talk about um, what that can feel like when you're not just experiencing the first signs, but if you push yourself through Mm. those first signs, what does burnout look like for you? Um, As again, anger. Like I tend to just be angry the whole time I'm doing whatever it is I've burnt out on. Right. I'm just, I have low patience. I have very little compassion for the people I'm interacting with. Right. The thing that is, like, a big flag for me is if I am actively resentful of people who are making different choices than me. Oh, yeah. Right? So I choose to keep showing up for this volunteer shift. And this fucker isn't volunteering. Must be nice. Or they're only volunteering every second event, and I'm angry. Right. Right? Like, that's that's an important sign for me. How did this person master saying no every second week? Yeah. Yeah. Or what, what is this person doing that's so important? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which it could be anything really. It's fine. They could be like in their pajamas, eating Cheetos, watching Lord of the Rings again. (laughs) Doing whatever self-care looks like for them so that they don't burn out and get resentful of all the people doing (laughs) this. Exactly. Um, Yeah. 
and lack of engagement, like lack of, again, like lack of preparation, lack of setting aside adequate time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the anger. Not enjoying parts of the job that I used to find enjoyable. Yes. Yeah. 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 Like one of the things that drives almost all my volunteering jobs and all of my activities is having significant in interpersonal interactions. Like if I have one good moment with a person, it can pretty much make my, my night. Like that's who I am. And that so is like the most servicey thing you could have said. <laughs> I feel I, I mean really seen actually and really touched. Um, yeah. So if I stop enjoying those moments, yeah. I'm I'm in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So let's talk about strategies for not getting to that place or for managing coping with that place when we get there. Yeah. I think an important thing is taking time off. Yeah. Yeah. So what I did when I burned out of community service in the BDSM world is I stopped doing it, um, which it, you know, can get a little bit more expensive or you stop going to as many events. But yeah, only showing up when I felt like it felt really good for a few years and really helped me be like, oh, I just like being here and watching all the wacky things that people are doing with each other. Oh, it was really nice to come here and visit with so-and-so and so-and-so. Oh, it was really great to show up and just have that hot scene and then leave because I felt like it because I was done with the evening. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, taking time off and then coming back on a different basis mm -hmm. is really important. Right now, I'm having a bit of burnout with a craft night that I have at my house weekly. And I just, like, I'm just at the first sign. So the first thing I did was I actually communicated with a couple of the other people who were showing up. And what their response was really great and really lovely, because I was like, I don't want to stop doing this. I just can't do it the way I've been doing it, mm -hmm. was they offered to figure out ways to take responsibility off my hands so maybe communicating with the people around you the people you're working with to see if they they can help you do things differently which can be really hard like it's really hard to ask for help it's really hard to admit you're struggling especially if mm -hmm. it's stuff that other people don't appear to struggle with oh that's the worst <laughs> that's the worst um but it can be really valuable um one of the things I have definitely done is there, as I said, I came back as a boot black. I came back on a different basis. I came back feeling like I could set my own boundaries in a really good way. And I very strictly decided that there are certain duties that I will not take on anymore. Mm -hmm. And that was a hard decision because it's specifically those ones that people have highlighted that I'm good at that I have talent for, that people trust me to do. And I'm basically like, yeah, that's great. It doesn't work for me. And that's that feels really selfish. Um, and it feels like I'm withholding things. I mean, it's, it's setting a boundary and it's being focused on what you yourself needs. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it is withholding something. It's withholding, like, hurting yourself for the service and benefit of others. Yeah, which actually never works out. Harming yeah. yourself for yeah. the sake of others does not work out. Like, yeah, you're going to end up harming yourself. And yeah. 
I think it's easy to fall into that pattern when you've been there before. Mm-hmm. So I think for people that have been in abusive relationships with their parents or in, in intimate relationships of a different sort, such a relationship anarchist thing to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or employment relationships. like Definitely. I've, right. had, I've had abusive employers before that have punched walls and like screamed at me for things that like I had nothing to do with that they knew I had nothing to do with. Yeah. I, I had a really terrible employment situation where... I was constantly expected to exceed my own boundaries. And like every time I reached a new plateau of expertise and competence, all that happened was more work was piled on me. So I was, I was basically kind of being punished for being good at my job. Um, Which can feel good if a person has any masochism in them. Yes, it, it did feel good. For a while until it started feeling real bad. <laughs> yeah, there's so there's an interesting piece here that doesn't get talked about a lot about emotional masochism. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> even just saying emotional masochism, I think some people listening won't even know what those words mean. So I think it's it's neat to talk about sadomasochism from the perspective of like, um, that hurts me or I enjoy hurting, whether that's um, I enjoy receiving pain that others give me, whether it's I enjoy receiving pain I give myself, which mm-hmm. is which is, in my opinion, sometimes a complete sadomasochistic circle and can be I've, mm-hmm. I've known sadists that have said that, that even sadists that aren't masochistic, that mm-hmm. enjoy seeing others in pain and hurting people so much that they will hurt. It doesn't matter whether they're hurting themselves or hurting other people, as long as it's consensual and negotiated, they just want to be able to hurt someone like that so essential to getting their needs met. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to emotions, it's a lot more complicated because typically we identify abuse as being things that involve um, pain, whether that pain is physical or emotional, et cetera. And it's easy to explain to someone, well, I just process physical pain differently, but it's really hard to talk about how emotional pain lands. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of interested to gently touch on if it's possible to do so. The yeah. distinction between like emotional abuse and emotional masochism. I think, I think the, the line I would draw between the two, and I'm just coming up with this right now. There are very few people that I would throw under the bus like this, <laughs> but I feel like you have the ability to think about these things and you have the experience in these things to make good commentary. Thank you. I also hang out at emotional bus stops. <laughs> emotional bus stops. <laughs> Where you talk a lot about your feels? Yeah, I talk I, I kind of do a lot of emotional exhibitionism in a semi-masochistic way where I'm like <laughs> <laughs> here's my vulnerability and you can kind of play with it to a certain extent. But I'm also very controlling about where and how I do that. So I've, I've picked you. I see. Whereas, whereas other people will drive by in their emotional cars, staring at us at this emotional bus stop, being like, must suck to be those people. Yeah. And you're just like, why don't you stand out in the road a little bit right now? <laughs> um, so I think the thing is playing with emo- the difference between playing with emotions and emotional abuse is I think if you internalize negative messages that's when it becomes yeah that's when it becomes abuse like when someone can call you trigger warning i'm gonna use a lot of bad loaded words like people will call me like a dirty greedy slut and i'm like yes 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 (laughs) i am a dirty greedy slut right now yes 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 and then like two three days later i still feel good about myself 
Awesome. I feel really great about the interaction. I feel cared for and seen and loved by these people in a certain way. It can be empowering. Yeah, exactly. I feel empowered. I'm good with that. But when I have interactions with people, they don't even have to call me names. People just need to treat me a certain way. And then three days later, I'm not sure if I'm worthy. I'm not sure if I'm loved. I feel uncertain about my place in the world. I feel uncertain about my relationship with that person. Then I'm like, oh, we need we need to sort this out. We need, we need to, to clear that up. That interaction was clearly not okay with me. We need to resolve this somehow. Mm-hmm. That was an awesome answer. Thank you. <laughs> so the one that I was going to jump in and suggest... Um, especially if you were kind of like fumbling to find the words because mm. I knew you had it like ideas in there and I was so curious. <laughs> I was like, share all your ideas with me. Um, is that no one is being made less emotionally well. Mm. I think yeah. when I was in like my first or second year of kink, um, River was actually teaching a workshop. Mm. And of course this is like early Victor that knows very, very little, very little. Um, but that one always made sense to me because I have a history of anxiety and depression. So when people were talking about what, what sane means in safe, mm. sane and consensual, I was like, well, it just means that no one's being made less emotionally well, right? Mm-hmm. Like what else would it mean? And, and wherever I said this, people were like, oh, that's really insightful. And I was like, I, okay. Um, and, and River even was, and, and I, yeah, um, it, it, it was like overwhelmingly, um, like I was touched because River said, like, do you mind if I use that in my workshops? And I was like, oh, like it was so unbelievable to me that anything I had to say in my first year was like a value to someone. So the thought that like a really experienced educator would be interested in using content that I was just throwing out there is like, is this not stuff that people think about? It's actually really surprising that people don't. Unless they have, I think, a history yeah. of like thinking about playing with emotions sort of like how people who don't have a specific fetish or kink don't think about it a lot Mm -hmm. i think if playing with your emotions or trying to manage your emotions is like a pastime Mm. when people talk about it in a bdsm or kink context you're like yeah this makes sense and everyone else who hasn't done it is like what yeah so yes so emotional masochism and emotional sadism can mean playing with people's emotions and so long as people are not being made less emotionally well i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing yeah yeah i definitely have like a bit of emotional sadist that like lives in like a very safely locked up and like there's three layers of chain around it and there's a very specific key but it's like when someone's like these are the areas that it's safe to like poke at me and rip at me apart i'm like i'm here for it let's go release the kraken <laughs> yes <laughs> yes i completely respect and understand that yeah. or at least empathize with it and believe i understand it <laughs> yeah i recently someone let me do that with them recently and i got so carried away that i actually insulted the entire city of chicago <laughs> what <laughs> I don't even know how I ended up there. I was just like casting shade on this person. Then they were like, yeah. And I took these boots to Chicago and I was like, Chicago. <laughs> just to cast shade on the person. You're like, Chicago's going under the bus. <laughs> yeah. Like Chicago, Chicago's there too. I, Chicago doesn't have feelings. That's... I think, I hope. <laughs> I mean, like possibly like the incorporation of Chicago doesn't, but I imagine the residents do. I know. Luckily, I haven't been there yet, so... Yeah. I see, I see. So you don't have friends that are going to send you angry emails after listening to your episodes? Hopefully not. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> no. 
strategies. Well, if I ever go to Chicago and something bad happens, though, we all know why. It was my own fault. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, I want to talk more about strategies. Strategies, yeah. Um, I am always about when you're going through something hard or difficult or unpleasant, mm -hmm. like double down on the self-care. Definitely. It never hurts. And self-care, like setting, setting the boundaries we talked about is a great thing of self-care. It's also figuring out like what feels good, what brought me to make these decisions or do these things. What can I do to try to meet those needs that's not volunteering for this specific role? Um, sometimes doing things completely different. Like um, when I took a lot, lot of time around, away from kink, I concentrated a lot on my creative activities and my creative focus and ones that weren't kink related actually. Now that I'm looking back on that process, I'm like, oh yeah, I stayed away from a lot of the kink related creative activities while I was like resolving my emotions. And now that I'm in a better place, I can touch on that again. That's, that's fascinating. Um, yeah, talk to people about your emotions. Stay away from people who are shaming you for like stepping away. Ooh, yes. Yeah, because there there is always someone who will, and they might be that person who is also burning out, who's just like, don't leave me alone in this situation. Right, if you stop volunteering, I will have to volunteer more, and then I'm going to burn out. Yeah. All of those like domino shamey kind of situations. Yeah, exactly. You gotta take care of yourself. Yeah, you gotta take care of yourself. Find different things to do with your time so you're not obsessing about the like, but I'm not doing fill in the blank right now. Mm -hmm. um, try new hobbies. You know, um, let me think. What else? Mindfulness can be mindfulness? really helpful. Practicing yeah. mindfulness. It doesn't have yeah. to be like meditation or follow any kind of spiritual practice, but just taking a moment where you know for the next 15 minutes, no one has any demands on you. Oh. Like for 15 uh, minutes, you just get to sit and you have it blocked off in your calendar to expressly practice mindfulness, like to do nothing but be present, think about your breathing, to think about your heart rate, to just sit and realize there is nothing to be doing right now, but actively doing nothing. I feel like self-care Dom Victor has just like shown up. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's funny you say that because when we were talking about strategies, I was immediately thinking of like the MS that I was in where... Yeah, like talking about mindfulness was really important and talking mm -hmm. about strategies was important. Mm -hmm. And when we were talking about taking care of oneself, one of the edicts that I sort of threw out there as a master was like, in this case, we were practicing MS in the context of slavery. But mm -hmm. now that I've had more time to do research about it, I'm really questioning our community's use of the word slavery and the mm -hmm. racial overtones involved mm -hmm. in that. And I'm yeah. starting to think that we should maybe be talking about it in different words, like maybe servitude or like there may be other yeah. ways to talk about it that are friendlier to the ruthless history that that comes out of. Yeah. When I think about MS, I'm really trying to think about servitude a lot more because yeah. like slavery as it has actually occurred in the world is horrible yes and and even calling it consensual slavery i think is is still a little too close to the to the heart yeah i but i didn't feel like that at the time and mm -hmm. this person did identify as my slave and it did identify as owned mm -hmm. um i have no problem with the word owned or collared or servitude or any of those things not that i necessarily have an express problem anyways <laughs> tldr this person identified as my slave and i said it is extremely important for the slave to take care of all of master's property including herself 
And that if taking care of all of master's things was a priority for this slave, that taking care of the slave was one of master's things. And it sort of like hopefully empowered my slave to take care of herself in a way that was mandated in a way mm-hmm. that was now, it was not just a priority. It was one of master's priorities. So it really, it really provided like a framework for looking into self-care for doing all these things that probably wouldn't have been a high priority if I hadn't made them a high priority for my slave. Yeah. 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 So that, that that's one temporary hacky fix that yeah. sort of works, but ideally those motivations would come from within. Yeah. I have a similar thing with one of, I was having a conversation with one of my daddy types about a, about feeling like I had to show up for a thing, even though I was aware that I was starting to burn out and that I needed to take time off. And I was like, but I took this time off to do self-care, but I feel like I'm really needed. And this person said to me, they were like, you realize the opposite of self-care is (laughs) self-harm. To which I responded, ow, daddy. (laughs) And um, what we negotiated out of that conversation was that I would, A, keep to my self-care boundaries. And also right now I have written in lipstick on my bathroom mirror, the opposite of self-care is self-harm to remind me that any time that I feel like giving up part of my self-care, like any of my, like I have a bunch of self-care rituals and I have a bunch of routines to do something external that I'm actually hurting myself. And I'm like, this feels like next level, but it also feels really important for me to remember right now. Like I realize this message might not work ever for everyone at sure. the stage they're at. Sure. But yeah. yeah, I often try and remind myself and I definitely, now that we're talking about MS made a point of pointing this out to my then slave was um, that sometimes you read a book that's boring or mm-hmm. sometimes you listen to an audiobook and you're listening for like four hours, five hours to get that like 15 second gem that actually makes a difference in how you perceive something and mm. changes your framing of an issue so that you move into the next chapter of your life. Like it can be really significant to get that little gem of information, but it might be buried in a lot of shit that's nonsense, sort of mm. like the love languages. Yeah, It's a gem of a framework, but it came out of some of the most like misogynistic and like highly conservative nonsense that I've that I've read not that I necessarily have a problem expressly with conservatives but in this case it was like very very religious Mm. intensely dismissive of other perspectives at some in some ways and yeah yeah I haven't read the book in decades um but what I remember is I also feel like there was a very gendered framework about how the love languages could be expressed by people. And it was it was even to the point that that in the five love languages, um, Chapman, I think, is the name of the uh, yeah Chapman. of the author, makes the point over and over again that that men have physical required needs for sex that that women don't have, and I'm like. Where did we dig up this fossil that yeah. doesn't seem to understand women at all? You know, generally I'm against cultural appropriation, except for stuff like the five love languages. I'm like, I'm just going <laughs> to steal it. I think I think for it to be like um, yeah. appropriation, the way we use the word is to mean misappropriation. Yes. Um, and I think for it to be misappropriation, there needs to be some power dynamic. And I think when it comes to like, um, essentially like, a person who's financially benefited from their own ideas 
and who has copyrighted those ideas and ha- happens to be from most of the dominant cultures, they have all the power in that str- in that exchange. So I don't see it so much as appropriation as uh, as um, just talking about it out of context. Yeah, and I'm fine with doing that. I'm like, I, yeah. I will steal his work. Just like I steal things from the Roman Catholic Church occasionally, like sure. not literal physical <laughs> objects, but like. <laughs> Yet. Cut to Who Tilly's knows? house, Dead Sea Scrolls. <laughs> oh, man, if I had those. oh, Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Oh, I want that more. <laughs> <laughs> she is she is important to me, Mary Magdalene. Um, but yes, I, I... Yeah, I will use sure. Roman Catholic symbols because I'm like, dominant culture, they've done a lot of harm. It's somewhat even in my cultural background. Totally. Might as well take it. Yeah, cultural appropriation is a complicated topic. Mm-hmm. I think it's often, very often misunderstood. Um, and, and, and often it's confused with cultural exchange. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people call culture exchange appropriation or call appropriation exchange. Right. So it gets conflated with so many nearby ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, I, once did, I once did a fair amount of rabbit hole digging, but that would, like I said, be a whole other uh, podcast yeah. episode just talking about that. It's true. We should, we should but yeah, set but that aside. All fun, all fun um, side tangents aside, yeah. talking about strategies for burnout, the notion of um, making many little efforts instead of one big effort is one mm. that my counselor gave me. Mm. I was talking about how I tend to be really anxious about being functional when I'm functional. So mm-hmm. once I'm functional, I'm like, oh no, I need to use this energy while I have it because I value it and I'm afraid I won't be functional enough to provide for myself sometimes. So I get functional and then go, okay, I need to do all the things and I make lists and I do the lists. And then Mm -hmm. if I get mostly through a list, but I'm not through a list and I'm tired, I'm like, no, no, you have to use your functional energy. You have to get through this list. So I'll push myself much more than I should push myself, quote unquote, should. Mm -hmm. Much more than I could push myself. I could literally just like not do any of those things. And I'm choosing to push myself. And then I end up burning out. Or or in a, I don't mean burnout in like a long overarching, I'll be burnt out for a while kind of burnout. I just mean I'm pushing myself beyond a place of good maintenance and self-care. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the next day, I'm not going to be very functional. Yeah. So what my counselor suggested was um, doing a chunk of work until I'm starting to feel like emotionally winded. And then those are my words, but... Mm-hmm. TLDR, I'm paraphrasing my counselor. Um, And then just sort of take a step back and do something that's feeding for me for like 20 or 30 minutes. Like Mm -hmm. just carving out the space to care for myself and recharge in in miniature cycles instead of in these big, really up, really down, making that wobble of, of... emotional management or functional functionality management smaller so Mm -hmm. that I have like, I'm fairly functional. I'm slightly less functional. I'm fairly functional. I'm slightly less and going through that many times in a day. Mm -hmm. So now I've got like work cycles where I'll work for like 30, 40 minutes, 70 minutes, and then I'm done for like 30 to 60 minutes depending. Mm -hmm. And that's what functioning looks like for me right now. And I just have to accept this is where I am. And it doesn't matter if other people can work, you know, eight to 10 hours in a day, whether they're happy or miserable about that. (laughs) Yeah. This is what works for me right now. So many little efforts, I would say. Yeah, that's that one is, strategy. That is great. And I, I'm really going to think about it that because as someone with chronic illness and mental illness, um, I am so used to working beyond my boundaries. Oh, it's um, second nature. Yeah, because you, you asked me, like, are you high functioning? Yes. And and we had that moment where I was like, when people say high functioning, I feel like what they mean is passing without illness. Yes. Um, And I think... 
I can appear that way because like I hold down so many jobs and I show up in community in certain ways and I have a lot of hobbies I'm invested in. But what I don't think people see is they don't see so many years of pushing past my boundaries that I had to do especially in my my 20s learning to hold down jobs with chronic pain and learning to hold down jobs with massive mood swings and so pushing past my boundaries was my norm for a lot of the time so I feel like in the past 10 years what I've been learning is where is actually my boundary right like where do I start to feel tired and cranky mm-hmm. um and starting to because I, I I had similar big peaks of like, oh, I'm functional. I'm going to do all the things because I'm going to inevitably have one of my huge crashes and then I won't do laundry right, for right, three right, weeks right. or whatever. Um, so starting to learn that I can actually, and part of this is about having established so much self-care mm-hmm. that my resources are actually renewable, right? That right. I can wake up and rely on a certain amount of energy and then to to kind of be able to start to trust myself that like oh if i come home from work and all i do is i watch netflix all evening trust that i'm like oh and tomorrow i'll come home from work and i'll be able to like do some chores and put away my laundry right right? and so that that is a another practice that feels kind of like my current leveling up that i'm yeah That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it's that whole observing yourself without judgment. Like, being mindful, but not being, like, critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and also not comparing yourself to other people. And I think oh. that's that's so yes. easy because, like, especially with all of us on social media, like, no one posts their un- unmade bed on social media. Nobody posts their three weeks of laundry on social media, right? Well, now I'm starting to think of, like, how can I practice radical vulnerability by like showing all the ugly bits and pieces of my life yeah yeah like right yeah interesting that's i'm gonna have to think about that yeah i think that that feels like another layer of emotional masochism i'm like do (laughs) do i want to go there does that feel consensual um and yeah like is this is this in alignment with my values Like, am I practicing integrity with myself? Am I honoring myself by showing off that I haven't done laundry in three weeks? Exactly. And does, is this serving other people or is this reinforcing my own shame around the fact that I haven't put away my laundry in three weeks? Right. So for me, it would be, it would be giving shame the air to die in. You know what Mm. I mean? It's like when you speak shame part of it gets lost in the process mm-hmm. just by the fact that I'm, I'm presenting my shame. I'm saying like, I feel really ashamed of this. And also I know this is all I can do right now. Yeah. Like this is, this is okay for me. And just like putting that on Facebook and then hiding for a few days and being afraid of what people think about it and being afraid of what people are going to say when they judge me. But at the end of that, I'm like, Oh yeah, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I was mm-hmm. expecting people to jump on and really hate on me. And it was like a few people being like, way to go. We're on your team. And yeah. Yeah. No engagement is better than negative engagement. It, it's true. Unless it's you're marketing. True. Unless you're in, yeah. <laughs> oh. So that actually ties into um, something I worked on in my MS, which was um, when, when 
we were talking about exertion levels, mm. I would sometimes say like not more than 80%. Like mm. when you get to like 80% of what you can do, don't keep going until you hit a hundred percent and then stop and have to rest, go until you hit 80% and then, then be that limiter that slows yourself down. Mm-hmm. So you never pass that 80% exhaustion as you're going. Yeah. So as you hit your ebb and flows, the, the top of your peaks is now 80%, not a hundred. And that made a really positive difference as well. Nice. That sounds good. Yeah. So, do you know the spoon theory? Yes. But okay. you can go into it. Um, spoon theory. I cannot remember the person's name. Sure. I'm terrible about this. Can you look can, her up? I can, I can look it up. Okay. So spoon theory was basically a theory um, created to try to explain chronic illness and exertion and, and so the units are spoons and it's basically, and one important part of spoon theory I feel often gets lost is that basically every, when you live with chronic illness, instead of waking up and you have 10 spoons every single day, some days you have 10 spoons, some days you have eight spoons, some days you have two spoons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the idea is that, you know, units of like... Getting up and, and showering is one spoon and then getting dressed is another spoon and then going to work is like three or four spoons. So I recently woke up after um, a long conference weekend and opened my cutlery drawer and literally all my spoons were dirty. There were no spoons. And I took a picture of this and posted this. And so one of my newer dates actually made me an emergency spoon. Aww. Which is really sweet. And he was like, yeah, if you need to take it out of the case, you can even take it out of the case. And I'm like, that is really sweet. Except with my new self-care practice, I looked at the emergency spoon and I was like, no, I always keep this spoon because I need to make sure that I always have one spoon for myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. I often talk about recharging as washing spoons Mm. and that some people will just hand wash them and, or, or maybe they're out of soap today and there's no washing spoons until tomorrow. Um, Or maybe they have a dishwasher and you see quote unquote high functional people who quote unquote pass as not, and they just, they are really good at washing their spoons. They may only have five of them, but they're cautious to only ever use three and wash them immediately after using. And that ties back in with that ebb and flow I was talking about of these little cycles of using some and then recharging some. And then, yeah. yeah. In my leather family, we often joke about how various family members, including me, have a bad habit of like, we'll just take a fork, hammer it into a spoon. (laughs) And so occasionally we'll be like, and you're not allowed to use your dishwasher today. Or you'll, we'll be like, are you hammering spoons again? You got to, yeah. You got to stop stop trying to make that knife into a spoon. (laughs) (laughs) It's always going to cut you when you use it. It can kind of scoop. You do it right. It it's a works. spork. It's a spork. I made a spork, guys. Chris, what? Christine Miserandino is the name of. Uh, Excellent. Yes. Which which doesn't is not as ironically etymologically named as you might think. Miserandino is apparently from southern Sicily, and it means like member of Sindh, I think, which is a province just south of Pakistan. Ah. Yes. Nice. Anyways, um, but I just, I saw Miserandino, and I was like, that just sounds like a made-up name that has to do with. People that need spoon theory not being super happy with how folks treat them. <laughs> um, uh, 
we I think we could spend an entire podcast talking about <laughs> the relationship between oppression, illness, Oof. and yeah. Yes. 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 We could. I think the the one last strategy that I wanted to offer before we move on is um, trying again mm. versus when to give up. Oh, yeah. That's a hard one. Yeah. Um, that's definitely happened to me where I've had to distinguish between when you, when can you go back at all versus when you have to give up. Uh, for me, what happens is when to give up is when you've taken a significant chunk away, you've buried at your activity, you've done your self-care. And then if you try to engage in the activity again, you immediately feel burnt out again. Like you yeah. haven't even done it. Yeah. You're just starting to engage. And like, for me, I could tell because I would get emails about the potential volunteer work and I would be angry. Ooh, that's not good. Yeah. And it had like things had been restructured and things were different and I wasn't going to take on as much responsibility anymore. But you're still angry. I'm still angry. And I was like, okay, I give up. Yep. I give up. And this is for the best of everyone. And it doesn't mean you can't try again in, say, a year <laughs> or I, I six months. I took five or... years off. Sure. I took five years off, mm -hmm. and the burnout is still there. So I'm like, I think I need at least another five years. Yeah, that's Min. fair. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like there's some, there's a lot that's there. Like, yeah. it sounds like there are some pretty intense, unresolved feelings if after five years you're still feeling burnt out about it. Yeah. 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 I think I think it's just, I feel... I feel like my boundaries won't be respected. Ooh. Yeah. That's that's a really good insight into the underlying fear around the burnout. Yeah. And and under my anger is usually there's there's usually fear or hurt lying underneath the anger, like wearing the anger like a big monster mask, like, ah, don't look behind here. <laughs> <laughs> I have that experience as well. Yeah. 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 I've I think one of the reasons that I'm good at practicing intimacy in my own mind anyway, mm -hmm. um, is that I have shame around anger, which is unhealthy and I mm. need to deal with, but it also means I look behind the mask often mm. and I show what's behind the mask because it's less shameful than showing people the anger, right? which is super unhealthy, but it also allows me to resolve things faster. So I'm like, well, if you're going to be unhealthy in one way, it might as well be a way that tends towards <sighs> resolution. It's true. It's Not true. that I'm only unhealthy in one way. Don't <laughs> it's like, this one works. Yeah. 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 Like, um, I, what's really funny is I say anger is a safe feeling for me, but it's not safe for me to express interpersonally. Ooh, yes. Yes. So when I am angry at someone, I will actually get super calm. I will basically become the misandrist's ideal of an angry woman is that I'm super calm. I'm soft-spoken. <laughs> oh, no. I am extremely rational. I take notes during arguments. Wow. Yeah, and this is how I resolve things. Wow. So that's how, that's how my dysfunction around anger becomes I think a productive thing. <laughs> I like that. I think that's also partly why I'm ashamed of anger is anger has led to people telling me they don't want to be around me. Mm -hmm. It's led to damaging interpersonal relationships and it's led to a lot of hurt for me in a way that was very blamed on me. Mm. So as a result of that, I'm super cautious about being angry in my interpersonal relationships. And it's only been in the last like five years even that I've started expressing anger in interpersonal relationships 
and I'm still not super happy about how it manifests and I still think I have a lot of work to do but it's I guess better than not showing any at all yeah yeah seasons of kink I wanted mm. to talk a little bit about those 523,600 minutes <laughs> um, <laughs> the rent reference for those of you who haven't seen the musical rent um, but when you talked about taking time off, I think it's really important that people do take time off when they're burnt out and that they respect mm -hmm. that sometimes it's not even burnout. Sometimes it's just, I was super into this kink. I had new relationship energy with how I relate to this kink. Mm -hmm. I did all the things. And at a certain point I kept providing that smidgen more of service or mm -hmm. as the kink was becoming less NRE, as I was getting less enthralled with this kink people were still making requests of me to do this thing for them and i felt more and more like i was service topping or service bottoming mm -hmm. and i got to a point where and then this happened to me where i got to a point um especially with rope where i was like why am i doing this am mm -hmm. i just doing this for validation of other people am i doing this for mastery other people don't seem to um or or do seem to really like or don't seem to really like and i seem to be heavily invested in their opinion why am i so heavily invested in the opinion of other people when you know if my partner feels like what i'm doing is safe and i feel like what i'm doing is safe and we both have a good time why am i so heavily invested in what other people think about mm. yeah so yeah. i started asking a lot of questions around the kink and very quickly i started asking myself what would it look like if i never did this again like literally never did it again and i was mm -hmm. like i would be sad i would miss some things and it would be like okay what would it look like if i didn't do this for a year and I would be like, I would be totally fine with that. So I stopped doing rope for literally like two and a half years, three years. Wow. Yeah. And it was fine. And I'm only just starting to come back to it in the last like 12 months, like 18 months, like sporadically once, once here, six months off, once here. Like it's only now just getting to a place where I'm doing rope a little more often. Mm -hmm. But like, that's how I describe seasons of kink. It's mm -hmm. like people come into phases where they're like, I'm really into these things. And then they go out of those phases and that's okay. And just like respecting, it doesn't have to be a life crisis. Like I don't have to identify with one kink that I do. I can just respect that it's a kink I love or a kink that I have loved and like respect that relationship for what it was. Mm -hmm. That's super important. The thing that happened for me when I took a break and then came back, because my break was about mm, three, three and a half years that I either only did kink privately or I didn't do kink at all. Right. And when I came back, I was having a bit of an identity crisis about like bottoming and what do I even want to do topping and all of this stuff. And what I drilled down to, I was like, why do I do this? Right. Like, what is the thing that feeds me? What, what, gets me off emotionally mm -hmm. what makes a scene worthwhile that kernel kink yeah and for me i was like connection i mm -hmm. want the scene to be about a way of connecting with the person mm -hmm. and then it was like i mean there are still activities that i lean more heavily towards but i was like yeah if i'm not connecting with that person or if i feel like it won't lead to connection I'm not interested. So mm -hmm. that's become my yes, no, right? Is about, I'm like, will this person go to an intense place with me? If they will, that sounds like a good time. If they won't, I'm going to pass. And um, it's okay for me to not play to like at least three years. So that's cool. I can hold that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think um, my dream space, if I had a community space, would be to create an intimacy gym mm. where people could come in and the first thing they would probably do if they had no experience would be something like a cuddle party. Mm. Like they would be practicing consent um, and like building that foundation of skill so that they could engage in bigger exchanges of trust and power. Right. An eye-gazing booth. An eye-gazing booth. Yeah. Now that sounds scary. Right? Terrifying. I, I, I can think of people that I know that might be listening to this who would be like, why would you do that to me? <laughs> like that if, that you're, would... if you're bad, I'll send you to the eye-gazing booth. <laughs> Make you practice connection with other human beings. <laughs> They'd be like, no, anything but that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so in the words of uh, Ariana Grande... Thank you next is an appropriate <laughs> thing to say around BDSM yes. and kink and non-monogamy and relationships with all sorts of things. Yeah. Great. Well, okay. that's an excellent bookend, Ariana Grande, to end a, <laughs> a discussion on burnout. Yes. Well, thank you so much to all the intimates for listening. And thank you, Tilly, so much for being here and having these conversations with us. Thank you so much. This has been a great time. Yay! Yay. <laughs> So how did you like it, Intimates? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions or directly on patreon.com slash Victor Salmon. Both communities are easy to find from intimatepodcast.com. So what are you waiting for? Go join the free Intimates community and start connecting with others. I'll see you on there. Disclaimer. I apologize if I said something that hit a nerve or played off a hateful idea or stereotype. I'm open to being called in. Chances are, in six months, I'll look back aghast and see something problematic I've since grown from. I'm certainly not perfect, but I am trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. You can email feedback to podcast at victorsalmon.com. Thanks for your kindness. Attribution. The tracks I use are published under the Creative Commons Attribution License. The intro track was Lost Souls by Portrayal, and the outro track was Restoration by Uncle Milk. Land acknowledgement. I apologize first for any pronunciations I might butcher. I wanted to acknowledge that I recorded this podcast on the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Stazuminus, Stolo, Sawasan, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Shout out to the Sekwepmek Nation, on whose land I got my degree, considering the Kamloops Indian Residential School closed only in 1996 when I was 10, I have found nothing but unending patience and kindness in the Tekemlupste Sikwepmek folks with whom I've interacted. Let's never forget genocide in the hope we don't make the same dehumanizing, cruel mistakes again. Thank you.